One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Digipop, a weekly podcast with interviews and conversations at the crossroads of pop and digital culture. I'm Rob Gillett. Digipop. Joining me this week is Gerald McCulloch, an actor and director who you might know from the Bear City films or from his 10 years on CSI as ballistics expert Bobby Dawson. He's just directed his first feature film called Daddy, which he also stars in as Colin McCormack, a big fish in Pittsburgh's small media pond who falls for a young intern called T. What begins as a chance for Colin to build a new life and family of his own takes a dramatic turn when a secret's revealed that threatens everything and everyone he knows. I spoke to Gerald all about Daddy, his first outing as a director, and the film's shocking twist. We also talk about his time on CSI and what he's got planned for the future. Things got off to a pretty good start, simply because I pronounced his name correctly. It's not Gerald. Did you, Bob? I like that you say my name correctly all the time. It makes me very happy. <laughs> well, do you know, I, I, uh, I, I kind of saw a video where someone said your name wrong, I think, and then you said it correctly, and I thought, huh, that's not Gerald. Oh, it's not Gerald. <laughs> it's not. That's why all my stuff is, it's a hard G. Oh, I see. I get that now. I get that. Oh, see? There's, all, there's always a meaning to everything. Um, okay, so let's just kick off then, uh, and without giving away too much, because I want people to watch the film, just uh, give us, in a nutshell, just tell us what Daddy is all about. I think it's a beautiful, mature story about two middle-aged best friends, uh, and what happens when a much, 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 much <laughs> younger man comes in between them who holds a secret that nearly destroys one of their lives and how they um, reassess life and their friendship and the world after that. Uh, it, the story started life as a play. It and- did, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a really great journey too. Uh, uh, it was about my, I guess, I guess it was my eighth season of CSI. Um, I used to spend my summers or my time in between uh, episodes in New York doing theater because I love theater. And Daddy was a play in New York uh, that was premiering, and I got cast as Colin in the play and fell in love with the story from the moment I first read it. And once the play closed in New York, uh, we did really well. We got, you know, uh, really, really nice responses from the critics and from audience. And I realized that the story was something that I wasn't ready to let go of. And so I came on board and did all I could to not only transfer the play to Los Angeles, but also... um, do everything I could in getting the play made into a feature film. And luckily, with a lot of tears and sleepless nights and frustrations and fights, 
um, I succeeded in that little task, which was no longer a little task, but there was an overwhelming mountain I had to climb. <laughs> I mean, that process of transferring it from a from a from a play on stage to the screen. What what things did you have to change? The play is a three character play um, with basically just three locations, and uh, as plays are storytelling vehicles, I guess, uh, that are basically told in dialogue. You know, a lot of the visual, big, climactic things and plays happen off stage. And then people come on stage and they talk about them. You know, and a lot of the story is revealed just through dialogue, through talking. Separate from that is film, which is a visual storytelling terrain um, where you show things and you don't necessarily talk about them all the time. So it was Dan Baia, who was my writer, my co-star, you know, it was, uh, and he wrote the screenplay as well. Um, it was his journey to expand that three character play with three locations into a real breathing world. And so obviously it has many more than three characters. We have Jamie Sapiro from Smash. We have Tamlin Tamita and Tony Winter, John Rubenstein and Jay Jackson from Parks and Rec. So we've definitely breathed in more not only people into the story um but obviously a film has to be visually specific so rather than kind of being a story kind of set around pittsburgh it's a story that's definitely grounded in pittsburgh now you know in in the play you just kind of mention the city that you're at but in the film you've got to really breathe life into that so it was about a year and a half two-year journey of dan adopting his three character play into a much larger visual landscape and i think he went you know in, it, within that year and a half two years was were about between 20 and 25 drafts of the scripts till it finally got to a place that i, I thought okay this is this is it we can move on from here um you know it's sometimes uh, the ad adaptation process is very fulfilling and sometimes it's very frustrating and and over a year and a half it's a lot of those things up and up a lot of ups and downs um, but in the end I'm really really happy with with how it did evolve and, and and the film that was captured based off of that play and there's still some there's still some quite theatrical elements to the film um, I'm thinking about the kind of split screen elements of, of looking at the apartments back to back and showing you know you as as neighbors and and what you're both up to that's that to me is is almost where I went that's the play coming through to me that was a some kind of a symbolic uh, aspect of the story to show how these two best friends in a way are mirror images of each other throughout the throughout the movie I ha uh, there are a lot of reflections from glass tabletops and there's mirrors all over the place because just like Colin doesn't really see the world in front of him so I'd wanted there to be reflections of different realities uh, these two friends are also in some very odd way bookends to each other so there are a lot of visual bookends. You know, there's the same shots that I mirror later on in the movie. And I begin that when I kind of travel from Stu's life and glide through his wall into Colin's life and how they're both physically in the same place. They're both on their steps, but they're both engaged in two completely different worlds. I'm, I'm getting a, a tapping sound. I don't know if you can... You are, and that's uh, my fan. Let me turn it off. Hang on uh, one second. Can you hang on one second? Yeah, sorry. That is the end of the tapping. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want you to overheat now. <laughs> I, no, no. 
Um, okay, so how did you come to cast Jamie Sapero as T? I mean, I think he's absolutely great in the film, by the way. I think he really, really shines. Jamie was someone that our casting director found for us, Mary Margaret Kuntz. Uh, a lot of the people in the cast are people I've worked with in the past or you know, and through working with them have become friends. Daddy's a story about family and the different ways that family manifests itself. And so as a director, I kind of wanted to incorporate that into how I told the story. So I wanted, in a way, for it to be a family of mine. So I tried to bring in a lot of people that I knew that I'd worked with, from Tamil and Tamita to Richard Reilly to uh, Patrick Richwood. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Scott Henry. There's a lot of people that I have really close relationships with. But there were people like Jamie Sapiro or like Jay Jackson for Parks and Rec. And that was my casting director, Mary Margaret Kuntz, who found them. I think she did such a great job in rounding out the cast. I'm really, really happy with it. I think particularly with with Jamie, and and we've talked about giving the film a second viewing, um, that really kind of shows the complexity of the role he was taking on. Yeah, doesn't it? I'm really proud of that. You know, the audience needs to kind of follow the journey through the protagonist's eyes. And as Colin is kind of blinded by being a big fish in a small pond, and it was important that T's story always be T's story, but that the audience doesn't quite see that. And so then when you realize the truth of the story, uh, and you watch it again like you did, and you get to see T's point of view, it's really, uh, it makes it a, a completely different movie. And that was one thing that Jamie and I worked on a lot uh, when we worked together before we started shooting, is just the reality uh, of his world and and why he has come to Pittsburgh and what his agenda is. Um, and I think when you realize that and sing a second time, you can you can see all those beautiful nuances of his can I just say, you have perfected the art of talking about this film without giving anything away, <laughs> which is very helpful for this interview, because I was a little bit concerned that we didn't want to blow, you know, spoiler alert, but you, you've, you've mastered that. So that's that's brilliant. I, well, well, thank you. And I don't know about mastering, but I certainly... Um... I've certainly tried my best. <laughs> um, one of the things that, that, that I see as a kind of central theme running through uh, the film and, and through many of the characters is this idea of acceptance and that where there's kind of any any amount of rejection, how damaging that is to, to the characters. Not necessarily rejection, but lack of acceptance. I guess you know? it's where acceptance isn't complete. So there's it's conditional. Exactly. Where the life you think you should be leaving is it necessarily uh, aligned with your true self and the life that you want to be leading or the life that you think you should be leading? Or maybe you're leading a life that you think you should be leading that isn't true to your real nature. I think a lot of those conditions are set up socially and set up through, I think, the sad and horrible ramifications that religion and Christianity has imposed on society. And I think a lot of those themes, and and family, I think family can be a lot of things. Family isn't necessarily just the family you come, come from, the DNA that you share with people, but it's also the the families you create as you go through life, especially for middle-aged gay men. You know, a lot of us now are faced with realities we didn't have a long time ago. We, The idea of adopting or marrying or partnering for life with somebody was uh, was not a reality for me when I was growing up and I think that now that it is a reality there's many people in their lives that are having to look back on the choices they made and realize that maybe 
those choices, whether those be choices dictated by society or by religion or by lack of acceptance, sometimes those choices that you made because you were in a way forced to weren't the choices that you realize you could have made or should have made to get you to where you wanted to be. There's a line, it comes after you have been to the funeral of your your uncle's partner yes and uh you your character colin says to stew outside uh something along the lines of have we missed out and you're you're referring to your parents and their happy relationship um do you think that that's something that a, a lot of gay men feel at some point in their lives this idea of of, of seeing a heterosexual relationship and a, and a family unit and, and just feeling like where's that all gone yeah i mean i, th- I think I don't, and maybe it's not just heterosexual. I mean, there's in my years, I've come to know plenty of uh, same sex relationships that have been together for a long time, that have parented children, that have maybe walked down a more typical, I guess, life. And I think it happens with straight people as well. That you know, there's there is a midlife crisis that people go through where they get to a place and they reassess the choices they made based off of choices they assume someone else made and seeing where those people are and being like, wow, maybe maybe I should have made different choices. That's the catalyst that sets Colin on his journey. At the funeral or at the memorial service for his uncle's lover, his uncle mentions that thing about family and saying you know, how although his family was accepting, his lover's family wasn't accepting. Just like Colin's family is very accepting. You know, my parents are there at the funeral and I kiss them goodbye and we have a great relationship. But then, as you saw when Stu was on the phone with his parents and you hear me talk about his parents, he had a completely different relationship with his parents. When John Rubenstein talks about the family, he mentions that all of their friends were the family. And I think that Colin standing next to his parents and Stu on the other side of them, I think that's what sets him off. I'm like, where's where's my family? What, do I have a family? What is family to me? I think throughout our lives, we're all searching for family. We're all searching to belong. I think you get to a place in your life and you realize, do I belong and do I have a family? That's the catalyst uh, to set our protagonists on his journey. Yeah, I, I completely I completely understand that. And I think there's a an element of having to realize who your family are and accepting that the kind of unit and the people that are around you take that role. Yeah, and it's in a, and there's also I think also in life, you know, we also go through life wanting what we don't have so badly that we miss everything that we do have. It's just like Dorothy and Wizard of Oz. Everything she wanted was right there, but she had to go on this journey to realize that. And I think that's similar to Colin's journey. Everything, you know, in a way everything Colin wants is right in front of him but he's just too blinded to see it all and makes horrible choices that end up in a way taking the possibility of of that away from him Uh, and again that's why I have mirrors everywhere and reflections because Colin doesn't really see the world in front of him Colin just needs a good mirror. That's, that's <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> just needs one constantly attached to his head or something. So he, can... he would like that, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he like that? <laughs> <laughs> he might be distracted by himself rather than what's going on around him. Um, it's, on kind of a related note, the the debate over equal marriage is is threaded uh, throughout the film, even though it's not particularly pertinent to, to any of the main characters. Was it important for you to kind of reflect that conversation in the film? It was very important to Dan. Uh, 
you know, the, the movie was made and the play was written before marriage equality in the States. We did not know that was going to happen. Like when we finished post-production and all of a sudden marriage equality was passed in the States, we both got very scared. Like, oh no, is this going to make this a quote-unquote period piece? Um, but I think that the struggle for equality on all fronts will be universal. Uh, and I hope that that stands the test of time. I just spent a month in Greece, you know, and although they have now marriage equality, they, they don't necessarily have equality because they can't adopt kids together. Uh, and, you know, there's all these, throughout, throughout the world there are, and even in America, there's so many people that are still against marriage equality, that it's an ongoing journey. Equality of all sorts, I think, will be a, a sadly, a universal plight um, and fight for, for many years to come. One of the things I really liked about the film is uh, kind of it struck a personal chord in that I think it's widely accepted that growing up gay can be quite quite a lot more complicated than growing up straight. But I think a common misconception is that once you come out, battle stops. Whereas with the, the film kind of shows that that's not, not always the case. I think that we're all continuing to find our footing. And maybe because gay men of a certain age haven't been able to partner with the person of the opposite sex and have kids and all of a sudden their lives take a whole new uh, path. You know, they become a family unit, they parent, they start working to send their kids to school and college and that becomes their life. And I think that as Stu and Colin, the gay men in the story, as they get older, they realize where's our footing and they continue continually question like what what are we supposed to be doing now that now that we're older now that we're reaching middle age now that death is something that we're facing you know that it's coming into our family our immediate family um i think that those are experiences and thoughts that resonate with a lot of people and that cause them to start self-reflection or cause them to get a divorce and try to find their own lives or or buy a very expensive car and maybe think that that's the right answer <laughs> you know i think uh, <laughs> i think that people make choices or don't make choices out of fear of what they're missing or what or who they should be versus just accepting where they are and what they've done one thing that i think is a beautiful theme of the story is the ramifications of the things not said and that your actions do have consequences whether those actions are not action and i think that those are very universal and i feel like dan's story addresses those very universal themes in very specific ways that resonate with people you know as it i think it did with you you know i think you sit there and you look at them and you see yourselves in these guys and you see that they're making choices or not making choices without being fully present to the world in front of them and maybe making those choices or not making those choices based off of where they think they should be or what they think they should be doing or what religions taught them to do or what societies taught them to do. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Did you, Bob? Now, we've talked about not giving any spoilers, which you've done a fantastic job of so far. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. There is a very big twist in the movie. Uh, and the subject of which I, I don't think I've ever seen on screen before. How have people responded to that? It's been um, it's been an eye-opening experience. You know, uh, uh, the movie premiered last year at Montreal World Film Festival, which is a very prestigious uh, non-gay-specific festival, um, and we did very well there. And we've been playing for uh, you know, the last year. I've been traveling around a lot with the movie, and we have actually gotten a lot of resistance from the LGBT festivals, very surprisingly so. I think that they are, in a way, thrown off by the twist and the possibility that maybe it's not all apples and oranges. <laughs> you know, growing up as a, as a gay male, that, that, I, that there's a lot of complications that come along with that, a lot of complications. I think that the fact that I shed light on some of those complications has been a hard pill for some people to swallow. But I find my story, my movie, much more truthful than a lot of the typically typical stories one finds in the LGBT film genre. You know, we don't really go to a, a lot of gay bars. We don't party and do drugs. And, you know, it's there's, there's very little nudity. I mean, you only see my butt very very fuzzily off screen. And I, I, that's, that was my goal as a director. I wanted to make a mature movie that wasn't necessarily a gay movie, but there was a movie that had a gay protagonist. So this is, uh, it's obviously your first feature film. So I think we need to dig a bit more into kind of nuts and bolts of, of producing it. Um, now I read somewhere that you only had 36 hours to shoot in Pittsburgh. Do you believe that? Yeah, it was crazy. We had we did we did this movie on with so little money, and we our production was based out of Los Angeles. You know, we can't shoot for three weeks in Pittsburgh. We don't have the time or money or energy to to do that. Any of the Pittsburgh scenes that had dialogue in them, we moved them from outside of Pittsburgh to an interior location, and we shot that in Los Angeles. So we shot for twelve days in L.A. and then. So that Lana Svetko, my DP, and Dan and I flew out to Pittsburgh, and we shot all that Pittsburgh footage in the next 36 hours. And luckily, we got um, snow and rain and sun and all the elements I was scared we were going to miss to make this kind of a seasonal journey. And, uh, the, I mean, the rest of the shoot was, was quite quick as well, by the sounds of it. I mean, it was yeah. like three weeks or so in L.A. Less than 12 days 
I mean, this is this was really an independent film. You know, we did not have money, and money dictates how long you can shoot. I mean, I think the film looks and feels like a very nice million-dollar-plus film. To accomplish that, it was better to spend more money on fewer days than less money on more days. So a lot of that was shooting very long hours. A lot of it was consolidating locations or making sure that one locate we could get three different scenes out of one location and just like the the gay bar that colin goes out to that night and ends up hooking up with like three or four different guys that was actually a rap party that was the rap party <laughs> party for our la shoot and we didn't have enough hours in the day to get that bar scene so the night our last night of shooting when we were like shit we never got the bar scene are we just going to cut that and i was like no i'm like we're going to bring a camera to the rap party and we're going to shoot the rap party I had my other actors come, the guys that I get to make out with. I was like, okay, it's the rap party, but you're going to be working. <laughs> I'm going to say, it sounds awful. I mean, <laughs> what a hard night for you. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's good to be king. <laughs> um, so just um, moving on to uh, something that I kind of like to talk about, which is the, the impact that the internet and social media has had in relation to the film. How has the internet and, and particularly social media helped you both in terms of producing and, and promoting daddy. It's a different landscape now. Um, internet, the internet, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they allow filmmakers and artists to, it, it cuts out the middleman. It opens up a lot of press avenues. You and I met through social media. My film has gotten out to a lot of people that would not have seen it without the accessibility of social media. It's it's a great way to connect globally and not only share your stories, but promote your stories and and have your stories seen. I can't end this interview without talking to you a bit about CSI because uh, it was the show that got me through university. Uh, oh, was not, it really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Not, oh, beca- not because I was uh, studying forensic science or anything, but just <laughs> I had plenty of time on my hands and I got very into it. Um, so, I mean, you were on it for, what, 10 years? Yeah, I was. There must Quite be. There must not be a moment when you're not on television somewhere around the world. Isn't that crazy? It's And it's kind of true. I mean, I mean, I, I wasn't a series regular, so I, I was a recurring guest star, so I, I wasn't on every episode. But yeah, it's it's one of those TV shows that I think will always have a life. Uh, and yeah, it always seems to be on somewhere. When I finally do have downtime during the holidays, I remember I was home at my mom's place in Florida last Christmas, and my nephew and I were sitting around, and he, and you know, and he's like, "Let's see if you're on TV." <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I'm like, "Oh, there I am!" You know, it's like it was just it was funny. Uh, yet I'm very thankful for it. You know, CSI will always be part of my life, and it was a it's a it's a great thing to have as part of my life. You know, and and it's a it's a, a show and a story that just hit a chord globally, and just you know really uh, had such a global, I, I guess, um, following or global appreciation for it. And I'm nothing but thrilled to have been a part of it. You were on season one, weren't you? So that was I did the very first thousand. So yeah, sixteen years. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but very thankful. And boy, it was a it was a hard job too. I mean, 
I was the ballistics expert, so I had to deal with guns and firearms and taking apart firearms and shooting firearms and remembering people's names and what kind of bullet and what kind of gun and you know, it was, and I wouldn't have much time with the script before that. There were many episodes where I did not sleep before I went to film because I wouldn't get the script till about 13, 12 hours before I, my call time. I had to read the script and then learn people's names and research the guns and research how to take apart the guns. And it was, it was crazy. It was a very stressful um, job, but one that I'm very thankful for. So all of that was real. I mean, the guns and stuff you were firing them. Yeah, real. we had we had uh, experts on set with us. You know, making sure that we handled everything correctly. But yeah, a lot of that. You know, uh, the lab techs at least. That was really us. You know, that's really me shooting those guns. That's really me taking apart that gun and pulling out the bullet. And you know, because the camera was on me, it was a full body shot of me doing this. So um, yeah, and, and you know, and, and sometimes I wouldn't learn how to do that uh, you know uh, i would only learn minutes before we started shooting and that's a lot of pressure to put on an actor <laughs> but um i had to roll with the punches <laughs> especially an actor who's holding a gun i mean <laughs> exactly exactly that needs exactly. to be Thank quite you. well researched yeah. <laughs> okay nearly nearly the last question this is a, a kind of quick game that i like to play uh with guests on the podcast called pop okay. culture mission to mars oh so, no uh, you I suck at pop culture i suck at pop culture well you might you might not let's just see how we get on so you're going to mars and you can only take with you one book one movie one album and one celebrity so who would you pick or who or what would you pick to take with you one book i'd probably take the dictionary useful very useful one album that's a hard one it's something that you would want to listen to again and again. I mean, I would just pick the one that you feel that you've listened to the most in your life. <laughs> I would probably say, yeah, but then thinking, thinking forward and forward thinking that it'd be the one thing I had with me. I'd probably pick like a jazz compilation. Yeah. Sort of meandering music that doesn't, doesn't get that, stuck in your head. Yeah. That, that's kind of an art form in itself that wouldn't get too redundant. And that also, you know, the stories aren't too dictated. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good shout. Magi I think you might have, you've beaten the system. <laughs> yeah, your magic, your imagination can kind of participate in the music, as opposed to the music just telling you what it is. So that that's my album. I guess I would find a really cool jazz compilation. I have a few. I don't know which one I would take. It'd have a little bit of everybody on it. It'd have some Chet Baker and some Ella and some Madeline Perru and a few other people. Um, okay, one movie. I mean, <laughs> there's an obvious answer here. One movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? I don't know why I said that, but it's a movie about quantum physics, and I've, I've never tired of watching that movie. It's more of a documentary than a movie movie. Um, Could be useful in space, though. Yes, and keep your noggin kind of clear. I mean, there's other. I mean, there's so many great movies, but for some reason that was the one that I felt I wouldn't get tired of. It's very inspiring and it's also very educational and it has a big impact on how you or how I chose to live my life. So I'd probably want something like that. I mean, I could say things, you know, movies that I love, but I think I would tire of them after a while. Or movies that you've made. <laughs> movies, oh my God, like Daddy. I have watched Daddy so many freaking <laughs> times. Um, 
And same with the Bear City franchise. You know, the first Bear City I traveled all over the world with, and I watched that first Bear City film more times than I ever thought I would. But I'll stick with my first answer and say, what the bleep do we know would be the film that I brought with me? And uh, finally, one celebrity who's coming with you. Well, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Can we, is he a celebrity? I don't Bet she's way more popular than this. Like worldwide, he's a pretty popular motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he is well known. He yeah. is, he's not on Twitter. Big one. I'd like to. I'd like to mine. Like, hey, let's talk about some stuff. All these nights that you spent in the desert with your friends. What really happened? <laughs> <laughs> and this is the point where my podcast gets banned in week two. Oh <laughs> <laughs> my! Okay. I mean, I think Jesus is a pretty good answer. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy with it. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. So, dictionary, a jazz compilation. What the bleep do we know? And uh, Jesus on the way to Mars with you. It sounds like it <laughs> sounds like a, it sounds like a completely different Gerald than you had in this interview. But, <laughs> I, but it sounds like a very smart Gerald. <laughs> That's how. I mean, this is what we'll probably end on. So, all right, <laughs> this, okay, this well. is good. The lasting memory. Uh, right. No, the last question is just to uh, just to say, what's next for you? I mean, Bear City three on the way, and I'm guessing the world tour continues. Yeah, Bear City three uh, starts playing premieres the end of this month, so that'll be a journey. Daddy continues to play. Was just released in the U.S. and and the U.K. was last month, I think, or France was last month, and so it's Daddy still has about a year of my life committed to it, and that's fine. I like that a lot. I'm very proud of the film. I'm proud of the Bear City franchises. Um, you know, it's been a great journey to be part of those. So my film, Daddy and Bear City, will definitely take a lot of my time over the next year. But as I said, I just spent a month in Greece. And from meeting trans refugees to lesbian refugees to gay refugees to parents of refugees to to political figures to NGOs, I, I learned about this horrible crisis in Greece that most of the world's unaware of. And all of these LGBTQI children and adults that are stuck in Greece, not able to return home because they will be murdered, not able to get asylum. Uh, They can't work because they have refugee status and there's a financial crisis going on in Greece. So they are living on the streets or having to form housing units together. They're having to go into the sex trade. Uh, it's they're having, They can't live in the internment camps because their fellow refugees are extremely homophobic and they will be beaten and killed in the camps. It's, it's really horrible. So my, I, feel a, I feel a responsibility to these many people I've spent the last three weeks with to making sure that their stories are told. So I have about 40 hours of footage to go through and hopefully it'll be what I need to make a feature film documentary on the situation. And then I have another project that I'm attached to, to direct, uh, similar to daddy. It was a play that I was cast in, in New York a few years ago, and I'm now attached to direct the feature film version of the play. So those three things will, will keep me a little busy, 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 but I like being busy. Digipopcast.com. A big thank you to Gerald for taking the time to speak to me. Daddy is out now on DVD and on-demand services, including Amazon Instant Video. You can follow Gerald on Twitter at It's a Hard G, and for updates on the film, it's at Daddy the Movie. I've been Rob Gillett. I'm also on Twitter at Rob Gillett with two L's and two T's, and also at Digipopcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Acast or iTunes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, then please do write me a little review. I'll be back with more next. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tweak. Subscribe now on Acast or iTunes.